Sorry to intrude on you, and in such a state, this uh, rain and muck. And hello, is anybody there? Hello. Through here. Come along. You'd better sit by the fire across the fens on a night like this. That boat wouldn't no better. Well, she was well paid to bring me here. This kingdom. Oh, I dare say she was. Anyway, sit. Yes, just there. Now, what would you like to have to eat? Oh, really, I'm fine, thank you. I'm only being hospitable. Sorry. Whatever you think appropriate. Well, some hot broth, then. Yes. Yes, that'd be very kind. I won't be a moment. What was that? Oh, nothing. I... My, this is quite a feast. <laughs> Delicious. Just a dash of pepper. But it makes a difference. We have to make the best of what we have these days. There was a time. You know, the sea round Ely used to be all farmland. And our ancestors grew more food than they could eat, yes. I've, I've heard those stories. You don't think they're true? I don't see any evidence. Ah, oh, you're a rationalist. A scientist. And I don't believe in fairy tales. And I don't believe in ghosts. They say you've a story to tell me. Oh, I could tell you a hundred stories. You don't run a guest house without picking up a few tales. <laughs> there was this one woman, Mrs. Palmer, I think her name was, arrived with one husband and left with another. I think you know the story I want to hear. Do I know? It's about a house. A house of dreams and magic. Oh, that story. I'm not sure you'd believe it. Nevertheless. Very well. But it was all a very long time ago. I was a different person then. Younger. So young and sure of myself. Thought I knew best about everything. <laughs> you sound like any of our undergraduates. And not a few of their masters. <laughs> and I could be so sharp with people. Sharp as broken glass. But it was only play-acting. Everything was shifting around me. I didn't feel certain at all because of the two men I'd met. Stephen and the Doctor. 
I hadn't known them long. They were criminals, enemies of everything I knew, and I'd been sent to apprehend them, kill them if I had to. I was an agent of the Space Security Service. <laughs> that name won't mean anything to you. We were a sort of night constabulary, but with a longer reach. Space Security saw everywhere. No one dared bring down our wolf. And so we got comfortable, stopped looking out for trouble, until the doctor came. The doctor, with his long silver hair and old-fashioned clothes. He seemed so ancient, so travelled, so deeply marked by time. I could have believed back then he wielded magic powers, but I suppose he can't have been any older than I am now. When you're young, the old seem like another species. I think perhaps we are. They told me he threatened the system. They told me that, so I'd kill him and Stephen. Shoot first, ask no questions later, so that our guardian's dark secret would be safe, because it was him who was really betraying us. I remember Stephen shouting at me. When we first met, Stephen was so angry, but I think he just found me exasperating the way I followed orders without thinking. And I could only respond with the principal order, just as I'd learned as a girl. One does not question the orders of the Guardian. I gave the order. Aim for the head. And I could have done it, killed them. There was a moment when the Doctor and Stephen were both entirely at my mercy. But the Doctor had a way of turning things upside down. And when my brother died, I... I... You don't believe in ghosts, and I didn't either. I don't. But I've carried Brett with me all this time. Every guest who stays here, I wonder what Brett would make of them. What detail would he spot and pull at, unravelling a string of insights into how they live their lives? He'd always been my guide. He was the reason I signed up. And I... I was the one who... Who... Everyone you meet, every individual, shapes the person that you are. Yes. Yes, I think I agree with that. And the more important to you, the more they cast a shadow. So I see things through his eyes and mine. His memory, his way of seeing things, lives on in me. Metaphorically? It's not a metaphor. Really, I can almost feel him physically, standing close beside me, watching me. Handsome, slim, gaunt and grey where the spectre's fading. Those cool, intelligent eyes, judging me, saying nothing. Because it was me who... Because I thought Brett was a criminal too, and I was wrong. You made a mistake. A terrible mistake. I was wrong about so many things. All that space security stood for, all my life till then. It had been a lie. And of course, even daring to think that. Well, then I was a criminal myself, denounced and on the run. The Doctor, Stephen and me, as outcast as each other. Running for our lives from creatures without mercy, going from place to place, trying to find sanctuary in a hostile universe. 
a universe of well what you dismiss as fairy tales but I was there I lived them I'll suspend my disbelief please continue there was a forest of invisible beings lurking in the undergrowth waiting to attack us you didn't see them just knew that they were there we saw the footprints they made as they made them and they did attack us and when they died we were able to see them please I'm not a simpleton it wasn't my own shadow forgive me we hurried on to the world where the doctor's ship our ship was waiting then to the poisonous air of Liverpool on Christmas Eve and then the place you won't have heard of but which was famous in its day a town called Hollywood <laughs> they thought I could be an actress or that I'd just be less trouble than their star but it wasn't all fun like that some of the things we saw the small boy who died in my arms as he looked out over the Martian landscape the withered old man caught up inside the workings of a clock and then there was the house when the house was built or why but it hadn't been built out of malice you could see the good intentions everywhere you looked the care that had gone into it the thought and craft but ask any constable about good intentions ask a murderer why they killed who they did and they'll tell you they didn't mean it it was warm and not like an open fire which leaves your skin hot and prickling raw it was warm like a summer's day Carpets were so soft underfoot you'd want to kick off your boots, feel the softness press between your naked toes. It's funny. Those carpets had comfort, even in the kitchen. You'd think it wouldn't last, that someone would spill something, spoil it, that it couldn't stay clean very long. It must have been brand new. All gleaming surfaces and polished chrome. And for all my travels with the doctor... I had lived a very sheltered existence. It must cater for hundreds of people, I said, because I came from a place where people were crammed into tiny domestic cubicles, where space is more of an extravagance than cleanly filtered air. But no, said the doctor, this was just a family home. And he showed me what I hadn't seen. It had already struck me how much like space security, how like night constables, he and Stephen both were, investigating details other people overlook, like scientists, rooting out truth from the detritus of clues. And pinned to one spotless wall by magnets were a series of photographs. Sorry, I don't understand. A photograph? A marking of light, is that right? You understand, Greek. I'm a scientist. It was an image, like a portrait. A young couple, a man and a woman, laughing and at ease. A snapshot of a moment. 
ah, the, the lightness of touch in the composition that suggests a frozen instant. I've, I've seen portraits like that from the antediluvian. The painter juxtaposes his own mastery of realism with an informal subject. Or perhaps the sitters just couldn't sit still while the picture was taken. You obviously don't appreciate how long it takes to paint a portrait. Photography is a little quicker. Anyway. A series of images of the same young couple. We inferred that this kitchen belonged to them. Perhaps they were newlyweds in this house part of their new life together. I think Stephen suggested that one. He tended to read people quickly, and I remember winning him to be right, that this was a smiling, carefree household, a place where we could be safe. But the doctor snapped at us to be quiet. He stood tall, head back, as if sniffing at the air. He knew something was wrong by the way he gripped the lapels of his coat. And also, I think maybe I could sense the something in the air. Stephen asked the doctor what had got to him, and the doctor muttered that he could sense something, a presence in the room. The way he said it chilled me. My throat went dry. The thought of something in here with us, something we couldn't see. After all we'd been through together, I'd learned to be wary, even of an empty room. Paranoia, from the Greek, to be out of your mind. I turned round instinctively, and that was when I saw it. The glass of water, standing alone on the kitchen surface. It hadn't been there a moment before. I alerted the doctor and Stephen, and they both came over to look. Don't touch it, said the doctor, like we needed to be told. It was just an ordinary glass, filled up to the last centimetre. The water, crystal clear. We didn't even hear the tap, said Stephen, going over to the sink beside the glass of water. Then he turned back. There's nothing to turn on the water, he said. He gestured with his hand to show us. And water flashed out from the spout. The doctor said there had to be some kind of sensor. An artificial eye watching for your fingers. But Stephen couldn't work the mechanism. He waved his hands around above and in the sink. And the water kept on coming. He turned back to us annoyed and said, I can't get it to. It stopped neatly without any fuss. Stephen gaped at it. Someone's playing with us, I said. We had already fought those invisible people, the Visions. I assumed there were similar creatures here, toying with us, making mischief. But the doctor disagreed. I should say it's some automated system, he said. I was just thinking I would like a glass of water in the kitchen understood. He gestured at Stephen. And the sink won't stop by you waving your hands at it, my boy. It listens to what you're thinking. Stephen stepped back from the sink, hands down by his side, his eyes narrowed in concentration. And after a moment... doctor laughed. <laughs> yes, yes, that seems to be the method, he said. And the door out into the rest of the house will work in the same manner. I just fix my mind on it being open and... <laughs> he walked slap-bang into the firmly closed door. 
Stephen and I ran over to help, but he crossly waved us off. How he hated to look foolish, like a cat caught being clumsy. He scowled at us both. The theory was right, he insisted, but he needed a little more practice. I felt just as silly with him and Stephen both staring fixedly at the door, so I looked round the kitchen again. And there on the wall was an indentation the same shape as a hand. I went over to examine it. And yes, it was like the palm readers in the space security barracks where I'd trained. They build your meals to your credit stack or let you vary the heat in your room. Perhaps it opened the door. I reached out my left hand, placed it into the grooves. The reader felt cold against my skin, metallic and dead. There was no prickle of energy, no ping as it acknowledged me. He didn't even know I was there. Now what are you doing, asked the doctor crossly. He hated us wandering off, not taking our lead from him, like we were both children. To him, I think we were. But uh, I just thought, I said, taking my hand from the cold surface, but I hadn't thought I'd acted instinctively because a palm reader was something from home, something I understood for the first time since I'd met Stephen and the doctor. For the first time since I'd lost everything. Since I lost my life. I mean, I said, and stopped. Because Stephen got whatever he had to just right, and the door to the rest of the house wafted open, and because I felt it hit first, I felt it prickling on my skin, like how the air fills with static, just before lightning strikes out, just before... White light burst behind my eyes, blinding all my senses. I'm paralyzed, falling backward, and... Oh, take it back! Then I could see again. I thought I must have fainted, but no, I was still on my feet. Stephen was holding me so I didn't fall, and the doctor gazed deep into my eyes. His horror and concern were awful to see. And then he saw that I could see him. He grinned, a kind, grandfatherly grin. I think, he said, this house must be very new. They've only just pulled the wrappers off and it's all full of static. You touched the metal surface and it gave you a bit of a shock. Isn't that right, my dear? With such authority that I couldn't help myself but agree. And yet I could see from the way that he looked at me, the way he held my gaze. He knew it hadn't been random static. That shock had been something else. Something in the air. Something that saw and felt reaching out to touch me. You mean you'd been attacked by a ghost? Of course not. You don't believe in ghosts. I'm sceptical where there's no evidence. Because you don't believe in magic. Or a sink that hears your thoughts. Or a wall that can read the palm of your hand. All right, I, I can appreciate these as being narrative devices. You're conjuring up an atmosphere, a house full of wonders, as if from the mythic past. Mm, I see. And you might not be conscious of the artifice yourself. Over the years, you must have told this story many times. A few times, yes. Well, it has been a lot of years. And each time you further embellish the details, so a shock, 
becomes a ghost reaching out to you. All unconsciously, I'm sure, but these things, these magical things, they don't exist. They can't exist. No. Science won't allow them. But please, it's not the props that are important. I, I want to hear the story. You and your companions are now able to explore beyond the kitchen. And that's when we found the first body. The doctor's bones creak as he squats down beside her. He goes through the pockets of her light, brightly coloured clothes. I've not seen clothes like that before. The soft warmth of the fabric. I was still in my slim, black space security service uniform. The doctor's in his old coat and checkered trousers. Even Stephen in his beige sweater and slacks. It's nothing like the vivid richness of colour in the dead woman's clothes. She's not wearing shoes. She doesn't paint her toenails. They're pretty, elegant feet. Unblemished by the kind of work that requires long hours of standing. Yes, that's it. I think she seems to be off-duty. Not like a constable's feet. Perhaps these are her night clothes, so she was vulnerable, not expecting whatever, whoever it was that killed her. I moved closer to the body. She's maybe in her thirties, a few loose strands of white in her otherwise long, dark hair, a kind face, lines by her eyes from years of laughing. She looks like she was laughing just a moment ago. It's like she was alive just before we came through the doors, says Stephen. And he's right. There are no marks on her, says the doctor. No sign of our fight. Perhaps she didn't even know it when she died. But what struck me is that I know this woman. She's a woman in the series of photographs. This serenely smiling corpse has a partner somewhere. A man she puts her arms round and kisses. I hope he's not in the house. I don't want to be the one who has to tell him that she's dead, that the joy in those photos is over. I'm sorry. It still upsets you. They tell you in training that you'll get used to it, seeing the dead, seeing people who've been killed. And I dearly hope that would be true, that each one slowly deadens your senses. But each one is a blade going through you. A visceral horror. Not at what's been lost, but how easily. Each one a signpost of your own mortality. You think it's as selfish as that? I... I could understand why it might be. No, no. No, no. As a constable, you, you're there to put things right again, to mend the broken pieces. And so all you ever deal with is things that have gone wrong. Stupidity and selfishness and clumsiness and greed and the awful damage they leave behind them. You're not inured to it. You're just weighed down that much more. Each new body threatens to be the one that breaks you. Perhaps we should continue later. No, no I'm fine. Unless you need anything more to eat. I'm quite contented. Thank you. Well, then, we left the woman lying where she was and started to look for the man with her in the picture. Didn't take long to find him. The corridor in which the woman lay led to a wide staircase, littered with flowers and paper-wrapped gifts. 
The doctor examined the labels. They were wedding presents for Richard and Alex. Alex, that was the dead woman's name. Richard was waiting upstairs. At the top of the stairs was an open area with rooms on either side. I said, didn't I, that I was used to space being at a premium. And all of this allotted to just these two people. And there, with space all around him, lay Richard, smiling and dead. Again, no signs of a struggle, no signs of what had done this to him. The doctor and Stephen looked over the body, trying to work out how he died. To begin with, I just watched the doctor. You'd have liked him. He was a scientist. Could treat everything with dispassion. I was relieved he took the initiative so I didn't have to go near the body. Perhaps, said Stephen, there was poison in the air, gas or some kind of chemicals. But the doctor insisted that that wouldn't have killed them both so peacefully, especially being in different parts of the house. The effects wouldn't have hit them at the same moment. There was no sign of panic, of desperation, of dawning, awful realisation. They had both died without knowing it, and presumably at the same moment. And from the state of the bodies, just a moment before we'd arrived. A man, I thought, Richard, he looked younger than Stephen, not as broad across the chest, almost like a boy. <sighs> Did you feel that? said the doctor. But we didn't, not at first. He said there'd been something in the air, like someone drawing breath, like we weren't alone. No, Stephen and I hadn't felt it. But my skin still crawled with misgiving. This was all too neat. Like I said, a constable cleans up the mess. Murder's always messy. But these deaths were not. I think we all felt it, that this wasn't some freak accident. It felt too painstaking and designed. But my training had kicked in. Somewhere there must be a culprit. So we treated them not like dead bodies, but like a riddle to be solved. Why weren't the bodies together? Why was the man's jacket a couple of sizes too large? In fact, yes, when we removed it, it fitted Stephen perfectly. I remember the doctor making a joke because Stephen's surname was Taylor and the jacket really suited him. But everything about this house had been tailored to Richard and Alex. Their bright clothing, their huge rooms and their possessions. So why was the jacket a couple of sizes too large? Had Richard shrunk as he was dying? No because his other clothes all fitted him exactly. Stephen wouldn't wear the jacket any longer than he had to. I don't know, I didn't see the harm. These people had so much. But I guess it could have been suspicious to see him in a dead man's coat, denying he'd had any part in how the man had died. We're not getting anywhere, the doctor decided. So we thought the least we could do was alert someone. Then, with whatever local constables on their way over, the three of us would meekly disappear. Leave it to someone else to make sense of. Trust in the local authorities and get out while we can. As we left Richard's body lying where it was, staring blankly up at the ceiling, and as we left, I don't know, I can't be sure, but I think I felt something in the air. <gasps> Is anyone there? Doctor, can you hear that?
We were spooked now, and so we scoured the house for ways to call in help. I remember a room full of musical instruments, and another laid out with various games. I kept expecting to find further bodies, or some hint that this palace was shared with other people. A palace, that's right. They'd been given all they could possibly want, all they didn't even know they wished for. And then it had all been torn away, which is somehow crueler than never having had anything to begin with. I was thinking maybe this privileged living had been the source of envy. That was too neat, wasn't it? Like a revolt back in the dark ages, the mob working their revenge, like something out of a story. There was no evidence to support it, just the sense of something hanging in the air just beyond the grasping of our senses. The shadows pressed in, despite the perfect cosy lighting. This wasn't a house like I'd ever known before. It was more like exploring a dream, a children's fantasy of what a home could be like. Could have been wondrous, even fun, had we not found two bodies. Down another set of stairs we found an office, or rather a scriptorium. I don't think there was anything in the house to suggest its occupants ever worked. Not in the sense of employment. It's more like the house provided for their whims. And there was an old-fashioned candlestick telephone, completely out of place with the rest of the plush, lavish furnishings, like something out of a museum. I didn't think. I just went over, lifted the receiver held the earpiece to my ear, and I heard. I heard distinctly. Hello? Hello? Is, is, is there someone there? I need to report an incident, an emergency. There are two dead bodies here. Hello? Then there was someone in the house. You heard them. I heard something. But you know how your mind plays tricks to fill the vacuum. You impose meaning on the meaningless. See faces in the dark. But someone had killed the couple, hadn't they? Someone, yes. Uh, and whoever it was, however they'd done it, that was still in the house with you. <laughs> Do you want me to skip forward? I'd go out of there, as fast as I could. And you, a rational man of science. The facts, the actual facts, are clear. There were already two dead people. You were all in danger. Stephen thought like you. It got to him when we couldn't open any of the exterior doors. We've been locked in, he said. Oh, said the doctor, this house is now a tomb, sealed off. Frozen in the moment that the people in it died. Perhaps they'd been dead longer than we thought. Preserved until our arrival. And maybe we should have run, gone back to the kitchen, to our... to how we got into the house in the first place. But it was like one of those dreams where you can't run away. Maybe. But the doctor and I... We didn't want just to leave the mystery hanging. There'd been some terrible injustice done here, and I'd sworn an oath to the Space Security Service. 
I'd vowed to make things better, to untangle this kind of mess. But you were in danger. You were putting the others in danger. Yes, and Stephen said so. And he was telling us we had to get away when... This time all three of us heard it. Definitely something in the air, watching us, prickling our skin. It was coming from back upstairs, from back the way we'd come. I think as we headed back upstairs, I had a smile on my face. I relished the additional challenge it presented. That sense of dread and danger, of squaring up to something worth my skill and training. So stupid, I was enjoying this. When people had died... And when what we were facing had such impossible powers. I was a forthright, headstrong girl. I had so much still to understand. It was ahead of us as we came up the stairs. I grabbed Stephen's arm. He nodded, didn't say a word, and we gingerly made our way forward. The soft carpet hid our footsteps. We didn't make a sound. It was the way we'd come back when we'd found Richard's body. We crept on towards it, step by wary step. There was no cover to hide behind, no possible alternative. We just had to keep moving forward. I glanced at the doctor. Was this too risky? He smiled and led me on. And there was nothing. Just the dead man lying on the floor. But it only took an instant to see what was now different. His eyes were closed. Someone had been here. Something ephemeral and in the air. And whatever this awful ghost might be that killed these two people, we were locked inside the house with it. We should get out of here, said Stephen. I turned to say we couldn't go, that we had to solve this. And my eyes opened wide in horror. Stephen wasn't there. He'd been right next to me. There was no cover. Whatever it was that had killed the two people, now it had taken Stephen. locked inside the house with it. We should get out of here, said Stephen. I turned to say we couldn't go, that we had to solve this, and my eyes opened wide in horror. Stephen wasn't there. He'd been right next to me. There was no cover. 
Whatever it was that had killed the two people, now it had taken Stephen. Are you sure you won't have anything more to eat? Really, I'm fine. You seem to think that I need feeding. You seem hungry. I'm merely trying to be a good hostess. Offering sustenance before I have to ask. Forgive me, I'm just not used to being waited on. Really? Cambridge used to provide its officers with staff. A hundred years ago, perhaps. Certainly not since I've been there. How did you know I'm an officer? I don't think I said. Your tie. The silver stripe means you're a magistrate. Of course. And you've catered for officers before? A few. Over the years. I see. And did they all ask to hear the same story? Some of them just had questions. And there was one, Philip who ate his broth in silence and then just took his leave. Poor man. My story was the least of his troubles. I could see it in him, weighed down by the trauma of war, of all the souls he'd lost. Which war was that? Oh, a big one, I think. Long time ago. It must have been. We were technically still soldiers were trained as such. The officers had to fight in generations. Technically. So, if you were called upon tomorrow? There would have to be good reason after all this time. So, depending on the circumstance, what we were called to fight, I'd have to use my judgement. But, as I said, we're trained as soldiers, and I swore an oath. To destroy those who are a danger to the church and state? Those deemed to be a danger. And that includes me? I haven't decided yet. Perhaps we should continue with the story. I'm keen to find out how it ends. You and this doctor, trapped inside a family home with whatever killed that couple. On the landing where Stephen was taken from us. Stephen? Stephen? He just wasn't there anymore. I ran to the space where he'd been standing, but nothing. Not even a tang in the air, like you get with disintegration. Oh, no, he's not been disintegrated, laughed the doctor. I never understood his sense of humour. He delighted in the strangest things, like a naughty child. But seeing my concern, he reached out, took one of my hands in his. No, my dear, he said. Whatever this is we're facing, it doesn't mean us harm. If it did, he could have killed us quite some time ago. Stephen might have simply dropped dead. But whatever it is, it has taken him. Put him somewhere else. We just need to get him back. So instead of trying to escape, we now had a reason to stay. There was still the rest of the house to explore, and we were determined to find answers. 
We couldn't leave, not without Stephen, and I felt a guilty pleasure that he hadn't got his way. We would save him because we would solve this. So again we looked over Richard's body and the wedding gifts on the stairs. We'd been wandering round this couple's house, but it only felt like we were intruding as I started to unwrap those presents. Clocks and cutlery and different kinds of towels, books and some kind of music system, one I didn't recognize. Luxuries I'd never had. Again, that stab of envy at the lives these people lived. That they had lived before whatever it was had killed them. Again, that pang of guilt. But also something else, a hot delight at doing simple police work. Close observation, clues, scrutinizing every detail for the things that didn't fit. You find the inconsistencies, and then you build your story up around them. I loved that part of the job back home. Making sense out of the senseless, turning a chaotic mess into a working model, using evidence to explain how things ended as they did. And the doctor loves it too. I can see his eyes twinkling, a sly smile on his face. We forget that this is a dead man lying here. All we can see is the complex knot that needs to be unraveled, a knot with the strangest inconsistencies. Because it doesn't read like any murder that I've seen before, there's none of the squalid mess. This man dropped dead in an instant, like someone flicked a switch. Who would stand to gain from that? There aren't any marks in the floor or walls for us to puzzle over. There aren't any other clues, only the way that his eyes closed when we weren't looking. The doctor's fascinated by that, insists it doesn't fit, like it's an afterthought, a garnish added later. Stephen would have said something about that, the macabre fascination in how we talked about the dead. He'd say we were wasting time, that we weren't learning anything. A flicker of something goes through me. It's better that he's not here. Just for an instant, I'm glad he's gone. And then an awful prickle of remorse. Because if we find that something has been done to him, something unspeakable, I'll only blame myself. Like that thought of mine, that momentary lapse of loyalty, is what did it to him. It's stupid, it's irrational. There's no evidence at all, but I'll blame myself, because that's the way we're wired. Whatever progress we make, whatever enlightenment we gain, we can't ever be rid of that ghost of superstition. Then I see it. I see what's in the air. Spindly, invisible tendrils reaching deep into our mouths and eyes, pressing deep into the shadows we don't quite know are there. Extracting parts of us we wouldn't recognize, and in that moment have got the story. I know what happened here. It's not who you're expecting. I'm glad to hear it. The killing and the closing of the eyes were by different people. Yes. Good. Like you said, there was an inconsistency. If the killer had wanted to close the eyes, why not do it when he killed them? He or she. Indeed. You're enjoying this. I think... Yes? I think I know the answer. This is a fairy tale. It depends on the rules of fairy tales. Like ghosts and goblins. 
Like people making wishes that don't come out quite right. The house is always listening. Provides a glass of water before you've thought to ask. You want the doors to close and open, and they silently oblige. But people want other things too. They don't need the presents. They could have all the gifts they wanted. They could have the brightest, softest clothes. They had them without even quite being aware that they'd wished them into existence. And when they wanted something else, I don't think there was an argument. We found no evidence of that. No struggle. No sign of anger. Perhaps Alex called up to Richard in a slightly nagging tone. Perhaps Richard said something that didn't quite mean what he'd meant. And in that instant, without even being aware of wishing it, I think it was Alex who made it happen. Perhaps it's just easier to see myself in her place, wondering where he's got to, why he's always at the other end of the house, annoyed that he's off doing things when this is the first moment they've had, just the two of them, weary of the attention from all those giving gifts, jealous of Richard's patience with it all. Nothing so articulate as thought. Just a nebulous sensation that life could be much simpler. And then she couldn't hear him. What would anyone do at that? Cry out? Wail against the empty air? That's what I'd felt in the kitchen. What the house channeled through me when I touched the wall. What it had remembered. And the air would not reply. Like you said, this is a fairy tale. Magic always has a price. How long does it take her to understand what she has done? And then how long to realize that there's only one other thing she can wish for? Please make it. And so the house was left with no one to provide for. Perhaps he'd sought instruction from outside. Perhaps the night constabulary saw what it had done and condemned the building. Perhaps they tried to smash it down or burn it. And the house understood their wishes and decided no. Or perhaps the house had already decided. Long before anyone outside came near, it knew it had done wrong. So it was the house that sealed the doors and windows, broke all connection with the outside. It even stilled the air, effectively stopping time. Perhaps it stood like that for years, not changing the state of a single particle until we stumbled our way in. Time began again, as if they died the moment we arrived, and then the house did the only thing it knew. It tried to grant our wishes. And that's what horrified you. Not the family's wishes, but your own. I knew what I dared to think of, even for an instant. Stephen wanted to go back to the TARDIS, to get out of the house. I didn't want that. I wanted to explain the mystery. And Stephen was just snatched away. You were fortunate. He could have dropped dead. I hadn't wished for that. I just wanted him anywhere else. Maybe because I'd seen those bodies, their eerie smiles and eyes. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. No. But you did wish for what happened to Richard's body. His eyes closing like that. 
Mm, not as such. And not consciously. But I'd been thrilled by the strangeness pervading through the house. So the house just raised the stakes? It made you think you had a monster locked in with you? Something simple but unsettling? I'd wanted it, and the house didn't know any better. But now you know what's been happening, you could just wish for Stephen back. You'd think so, wouldn't you? But it didn't work like that. The doctor explained techniques for focusing the mind. We both needed to picture the same outcome. Stephen in the room with us. We both had to fix our thoughts on that simple goal. I held the doctor's old and twisted hand. I can remember the texture of his skin, rough and worn by time. Stephen, he said. I'm with the doctor's hand in mine. It was as if I was sharing in his thoughts, both of us conjuring the same single image of our friend. I could see Stephen's beige sweater, the funny sweep of his hair, like something out of some long-forgotten age, his eyes so steely and determined. I always had to look away. I could see him, almost touch him, like he was right in front of me. We almost had him, I think, but the house fought back. We could both hear it, feel it in our bones. We shared the sensation like we shared our one picture of Stephen. The air alive around us like before a storm. I looked round to see it, so sure it was beside me. A presence, a corporeal form. Maybe I thought it might be Stephen that we were getting through. And I felt, didn't see, the thing reaching out to me, felt its hoarse breath against my face, the whiff of dust and salt and anger, a thing made only of the air, forcing itself into being to tell us, to tell me. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in fairy tales. I hated them as a child, the ones where some slight lack of foresight is met with awful justice, and I refuse to believe he could be lost to us. But the doctor shook his head. The house had seen him as a threat, may very well have killed him, and that's why we'd been refused. You have to understand, he said to me levelly, the house isn't alive. It has powers that are extraordinary, but it can't think for itself like we can. It can only respond, and because it doesn't think, that's what makes it so dangerous, so deadly. And that's why we must shut it down. But you said the house had shut itself off from the outside already. Why hadn't it been shut down? You assume it had protected itself. That it even wished to survive. That would be consistent with what you've said so far. So the doctor prepared an exorcism? Not in the way that you would understand. He said he had equipment in his ship that could attract the ghost, draw it out and cage it, contain it, like a rabid animal. So you headed back towards the kitchen, and your TARDIS, that was what you called it? The doctor's box of magic tricks. He wished the bedroom door open and the house obliged. We slowly, warily made our way down the stairs. He still had my hand tight in his, as if still focusing my thoughts, stopping 
my unconscious so that I could not think of things that might come between us. At the bottom of the stairs there lay Iris, still in her coloured clothes, her eyes still wide and blind. But maybe that smile on her face wasn't quite so contented. I'd mistaken for bliss what was really a sense of release, the escape from the horror she wished for. A careless, cruel thought, and then she'd... Sarah, said the doctor, no, don't think ill of the dead. He'd caught me before I'd even thought it. Some angry, self-righteous dig at this poor dead woman, wishing some further slight to her because of what she'd done, blaming her for the terrible way an unspoken thought had been acted upon, made real. Knowing you mustn't think something only makes it worse. Your mind struggles against the instruction. The more you know it's wrong, the more you want to think it. As we went into the kitchen, saw the TARDIS standing there. Doctor let go of my hand. It was like losing your grip on a lifeline, tumbling backwards into the dark. I tried to focus, I tried to focus my mind like he taught me. But he was fidgeting through his pockets for the TARDIS key to get inside, to get the thing that would trap the ghost. And I couldn't help myself. We had recognised the problem by our wits alone, by the kind of police work that I used to live for. We still had the last part to untangle, and we could still do that with our brains. But trapping it, caging it like a genie in a flask, it seemed like that was cheating. I couldn't help myself. I wished he wouldn't. The doctor reached out to the TARDIS and the key in his outstretched hand scraped on a pane of glass, a great sheet of it standing in his way. It made no sound, at least that I could hear. He turned back to me, trying to speak. No sound came from his lips. I ran forward and slammed against another pane of perfectly clear glass. The doctor reached his arms out, found the invisible walls all around him. I hammered on the glass. The doctor hit out too. It was no use. It would not yield. Then I felt something give under the pressure. The glass had moved. I almost shouted with excitement. I was going to get him out. But there was a look in the doctor's eye. A terrible expression. And soundlessly he told me what was happening. Slow. So I could read his lips. This booth is shrinking. I ran over to the counter, went through the kitchen drawers. thought would a house where you could wish for anything have such a well-stocked kitchen. There were different kinds of knives and instruments for all kinds of cooking, and I wondered as I searched if food preparation was something to be enjoyed. You wish for a good place to cook, not just to have the meals made for you. You had time to cook a meal in your huge house with your husband, another stab of envy, guilt, annoyance of myself, and then I found the thing I needed. A wooden mallet, the four sides of its head, all different shapes of broken teeth. Something for mashing up meat in different ways. And just the thing for smashing glass. I struck the glass and struck again. I broke the teeth out of the mallet. And the glass was still constricting all round the doctor. He stood tall, aloof, as the booth began to press against him. He looked at me, held my gaze. No anger or resentment. Worse, he had a kind of peace about him, like a willing sacrifice, like he'd do this thing for me. I think he even smiled. 
the same contentment as the dead woman lying in the hall. And until that moment, even that late, I think I'd been enjoying myself, thrilled at the challenge this house presented. Maybe that's what it latched onto, my wish to unravel the mystery, to prove myself against it. Again, that terrible pang of guilt that I had wished these things to happen. I'd put the doctor in this box where the glass walls now pressed his frock coat flat. The house had chosen me and was responding to my wishes in the best way it understood. Things I hadn't even realised I was thinking. The dead man Richard, his jacket had changed size because I'd thought it might look good on Stephen. I remembered Stephen's distaste at wearing it. The house just didn't know any better. But why me? I yelled at my own reflection in the glass. And perhaps that was a fair punishment after all I'd done. I had killed my brother, shot him dead as he tried to explain himself. Poor Brad, always so firm on what was right and wrong. Of all the people to betray the system, I should have asked more questions of the people that I worked for. I should have listened to Brett when I still could. Well, there was nothing I could do to make it right, and my reflection in the glass gaped back at me as it throttled the doctor, because that was how the house was feeling, guilty and unable to put things right. It had looked deep into my mind to find the things I wanted, the things I didn't know I wished for, and it had seen a kindred soul. By punishing me, it was punishing itself. I struggled to focus, to wish it away, to loosen the grip in which it held the doctor. He was no longer breathing. His eyes looked blindly back at me, unable to focus. I struggled to make the house release him. But Alex couldn't wish for her husband back. We couldn't bring back Stephen, because that was like getting equipment from the TARDIS. It was cheating. No. Step back. Use the evidence around you to make the story work. A rational explanation. If the house didn't know any better, then it couldn't be punishing me. So it was doing something else. It was leading me to a solution. The doctor was going to die and I still couldn't see it. The house was struggling to put itself in order. It didn't want to be destroyed. It just didn't know how to read people, how to tell which wish to grant and which ones to ignore. Like a child who needs to... And I rushed around the counter to the indentation in the wall. My hand slipped easily into the handshake groove. There was no pulse of energy, no electronic beat, nothing to indicate the house knew I was even there. But it did. It had felt me there before, had tried to grant my wishes ever since, and for the first time since we'd arrived, I know what I want! You wished for what? Forgiveness? No. I killed my brother because it was easier than hearing the awful truth he had to tell me. 
There's nothing that can ever put that right. That's very hard on yourself. After all this time. Maybe. You've been brought up as a constable. You've got your brother's sense of right and wrong. You shared that with the house. I shared much more than that. I didn't quite realise what I'd done at first. My ears were ringing. My senses wild. I felt lighter than the air. And below me, above me, any way I chose to look, I was looking at myself. Tall and slender, though I always looked a bit awkward in the service uniform. I, she, had her hand in the indentation on the wall and she was glancing round not seeing me looking back at her but knowing I was there she smiled and before she'd even asked I knew just what she wished for the doctor was bent over double coughing and wheezing as he came back to life Stephen gave him an arm to cling on to Then they sat at the coffee bar, the high table in the kitchen, and Sarah told them what she'd done. I listened to her, watched the shock and understanding as it lit their faces. At the same time, I disposed of Alex and Richard's bodies, found them plots in my foundations. I didn't know which rituals they might have wished for, but I tried to be respectful. It took effort to shape the air, to give myself a voice. But wishing the words into being, I recited the oath of the Space Security Service, that I would make things better, I would make things right. Protect and serve was an old idea even where I came from. But it stood the test of time. When was this? I stopped counting after the first thousand years. Around the house, the seasons change. I still draw my power from the sun and stars. The light seems slightly paler. Perhaps that's my imagination. But this building isn't like anything you described. It has warped with age and the wants of those who've stayed here. That's the only way it has survived for all this time. But how were you built? Whose science can look into men's minds and then grant them what they wish for? And were there other houses like that back then? Are any of them still standing? Were they what ended that civilization, left your world like it is? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know how long the house was waiting before the doctor brought me here. He didn't bring you. You're not a person. You're not Sarah Kingdom. I'm all there is left of her. She and the doctor and Stephen were soon on their way again. I'd have liked them to stay, but I could see none of them wanted that. I spooked them a little. After what the house, what I, 
are done to them, it's no more than I deserve. How strange to know yourself like that. I looked into her mind and saw things she didn't even realise that she wished for. I hope she found some of them, earned them for herself. I sometimes imagine what she might be doing, but they never came back. I assume I must be dead by now, somewhere out in space and time. So you're her ghost? In some ways. That's what this has all been about, hasn't it? Can't you just read my mind anyway? I don't like to pry uninvited, but you're an officer of the law. You've crossed the fens in terrible weather to have this chat with me. You're wary of my most basic hospitality. You don't seem spooked by talking to the air. Are you able to make yourself corporeal? Could you wish yourself to be? Would it help my case? I'm just curious. I wish nothing for myself. I take care of my guests. There are stories to the contrary. People who have been picked up and ejected through the door. I use my judgment, like any landlady. And so it's these misbehaving persons who concoct the wildest stories. That the guest house is haunted, you mean? You know how the law stands on animations. They have to be exorcised. So your predecessors told me. But they heard my story, they ate my broth, and they each made an exception. You can't make exceptions. They did. And they lived in less enlightened, more credulous times. I know you don't like the superstition in the law. You're a scientist, you said. It's still the law. And I swore to uphold the law. Body and soul. Even now, after all this time, I'll abide by whatever you choose for me. You can just evaporate. I can let go of myself, disperse into the air, if that's what you want. I... I don't know what I want. I know. I try not to pry, but I can't help it sometimes. I see into your mind, and you don't know what to wish for. So you have to choose. You have to make a judgment. I'll do whatever you want. It's all I know to do. Well? What's it going to be?